This episode of Eat the Rules is brought to you by You on Fire. You on Fire is the online group coaching program that I run that gives you a step-by-step way of building up your self-worth beyond your appearance. With personalized coaching from me, incredible community support, and lifetime access to the program so that you can get free from body shame and live life on your own terms. Get details on what's included and sign up for the next cycle at summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I'd love to have you in that group. This is Eat the Rules, a podcast about body image, self-worth, anti-dieting and intersectional feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 184, and I am interviewing Dr. Joy Cox, author of Fat Girls in Black Bodies. We talk about Joy's path to body liberation and how she practices acceptance on a daily basis. We talk about how diet culture showed up in her community growing up in church and in the black community at large. We also talk about how to deal with a lack of support from your family and community and so much more. You can find all the links and resources, including a link to Joy's book, which is amazing, at summerinandin.com forward slash 184. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to someone with a bunch of letters and a ton of numbers in their username, (laughs) Um, but you'll recognize the review if you're listening to this. It says, Summer in has helped me through so many body image and dieting issues through this podcast. I love everything she has to say and the discussion of body confidence itself. Definitely something every woman needs help with. Self-love, body confidence, and letting go of dieting. Thank you, Summer, for sharing your knowledge and your confidence with all of us. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. I've been loving all the little uh, reviews trickling in lately. It means a lot to me. I do read them. I get an email update every week with with new reviews. And so I'm always really touched by them. So don't think that they just go unnoticed. I really do (laughs) love them. And I would read them all uh, alive on the show if I could. Um, But hopefully I will eventually get yours if you've sent one in. And uh, if you haven't sent uh, a review in, then definitely do that. You can go to iTunes, click search for Eat the Rules, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review. And you can also help the show out by subscribing. You can do that via whatever platform you use, whether that is Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, whatever it is. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you grab the 10 day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. And I feel like it's a worthwhile time to remind you all that uh, if you cannot spell my name, you can just go to thebodyimagecoach.com and that will take you to my website where you'll find everything I mention in this podcast. In addition to that, um, I was going to say something else and it just totally slipped my mind. (laughs) Oh, I know what I was gonna say. Um, If you go to the show notes for the episode, if you click that little I in the circle, the info button, 
there's always a live link to the show notes too, which will take you to my website and take you to the links that are being mentioned. Um, that was something I knew I added in uh, probably about a year ago when one of the listeners told me, hey, this would be a good idea for you. And I thought, wow, thank you for telling me. Okay, I'm going to jump right into this episode. It's a little bit longer than my usual episodes. And there's a reason for that. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, Joy it shares a lot of vulnerable uh, raw, honest stuff in in this podcast about her story, and um, and what it was like growing up, and you know the intersection of of diet culture and um, how that uh, and race and how um, like growing up in the black community how that uh, impacted her relationship with her body and food, as well as within her church, which is really fascinating because I don't think we've ever talked about religion and the influence on like and and um, I guess how in some cases, not all, and I'm totally speaking as someone who doesn't know a lot about this, um, can uphold a fat phobia, like within within religious settings. And uh, enjoy his story is amazing. I, I loved reading her book, and I highly recommend it. Obviously, like I, you know, I'm, I'm white, I come from like a more privileged background. It's really important uh, for me to, to to read and understand other people's stories who have who have who look different than me who have different experiences than me. And I just I felt like the writing in the book was so great. There were so many little things that I highlighted that I was like, Oh, this is gonna be such a good quote this should go on a meme. Like this one sentence, like she summarized something that would take me a whole paragraph to say in one sentence. Um, and it's a really, it's a mix of like memoir as well as um, promoting like health at every size and, and body liberation. And so I, I highly recommend it if you're looking for some more like memoir type stuff in this field. It's definitely something that I like, I read through so quickly because it was so enjoyable. Like I, re I really couldn't put it down. Uh, and I was so excited um, when Joy agreed to be on the show and she's going to talk a lot about her story today. So if you don't know Joy, Joy Arlene Renee Cox is an ordinary person who has been given an extraordinary opportunity to share stories about people much more fabulous than herself. She is a Philadelphia native born on the blessed 31st day of December, receiving her PhD from Rutgers University, New Brunswick in 2018. Her field of work is centered on fatness, identity, and social change. Reflective of the name she bears, Joy has the cheeks to outsmile her detractors. Reflective of her work in print, she has the research to back up her claims. She is the author of Fat Girls and Black Bodies, Creating Communities of Our Own, published through North Atlantic Books, and the host of the pro-fat, pro-black podcast, Fresh Out the Cocoon. Joy has been featured in several articles by Huffington Post and Self Magazine, and has also been featured on a lot of other amazing anti-diet podcasts. I'm so thrilled to have her here today. Let's get started with the show. Hi, Joy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Summer. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. I'm so happy to have you here. I really loved reading your book. Uh, as I was saying to you, I just thought that it's such a wonderful mix of memoir as well as fat positivity and health at every size kind of uh, blended in and um, and you just had such a great way of of making different points. And I'm really excited to to really talk about some of that here with you today. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you so much for the feedback. Um, super excited to discuss. So yeah, whatever, whatever it is, <laughs> ready to go. Yeah, well, I would love to know, like, first, just what inspired you to, to write Fat Girls in Black Bodies? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of this kind of stems from my work that I, I did um, during my time as I was 
uh, going out to get my PhD at Brucker's. Um, and so I was examining fat acceptance or fat liberation. And um, the more that I started to study that, I started to notice how there seemed to be a gap in the stories that were being told, or at least the stories that um, had a platform, uh, which kind of turned my attention to, you know, the issues of race and all the, you know, and all of its intersections. And when I was contacted by North Atlantic Books to to actually write a book, I thought, one, like this would be great for my dissertation information so that I wouldn't have to chop it up and make it into articles. Um, but two, that this would also allow me to really speak about a portion or, a, you know, a sect of, of fat liberation that we often don't get uh, to see uh, as much. And so uh, I wanted to write something that was for fat people, um, but more specifically about uh, the lived experiences of Black women and femmes and and document that. And so for me, you know, it was an opportunity to kind of add my research and my lived experience all together in one um, and, and shed light on, again, like a topic within fat acceptance that we don't get to explore as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so good. I mean, I, I love like people who are willing to just share and, and you share so much of your story in there and uh, and it's really, really powerful. So with that being said, I would love for you to tell everyone just about the relationship that you had with your body growing up. Yeah. I mean, I think for the most part, I mean, I think how I loved myself, accepted my body um, and fought with my body, there was a lot of that that I think happened in private. I was one of those people who who was able to kind of look at my body and accept it for what it was when I was alone, but also kind of holding this sense of like a double reality and understanding that the people outside of my privacy didn't see my body the way that I saw it. And there was always like this message that, you know, there was something wrong with my body. So I kind of grew up my relationship to my body. It was it was a little strained at times. For sure. I wouldn't call it maybe a love-hate relationship, but I think that, you know, there was always this consciousness of knowing that even if I accepted um, my body as it was, you know, writ at large, it wasn't accepted by society. It wasn't accepted by my family members. Um, And in some cases, it wasn't accepted, you know, um, by my friends. And so kind of carrying that around, I think, Um, made me a lot more mindful, I think, and conscious of how I moved in my body, right? The type of space that I took up in my body um, when I felt like it was acceptable for me to raise my voice and say something, when I believed that other people would listen and hear me um, and things of that nature. And so, you know, it was just a lot of, it was exhausting, um, just a lot of extra, I think, mindfulness and consciousness about how I was showing up in the world and and in hopes of, I think, you know, wanting people to to accept me, but also understanding that more than likely that would not be the case given the body that that I was housed in. Mm, I feel like a lot of people can probably relate to that, that feeling of, you know, even if I accept it, like still having to face the, the potential judgment or, you know, discrimination and things like that. Yeah. There's a there's a moment that you talk about and you're you're pretty young where your dad picks you up and you say, quote, it was your first recollection of what it meant to belong while not really belonging, which I felt like was such a powerful statement. 
Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that event happened to me when I, I could have been about maybe three or four years old. Uh, and so my dad, he was about six feet tall. Um, the, the tallest that I've ever gotten to this point has been five, five feet and four and a half inches. Um, and so even to this day, people who are six feet tall, you know, it's kind of like you want to look at them and say, how's the air up there? Right. Because like you're never <laughs> you're never you know, you're never up that high. But um, being a kid. You know, I my dad being as tall as he was, he used to do this. I don't I don't even want to call it a trick. It was kind of like the spaceship thing. He would pick us up and then he would just bring us back down. So we didn't fly around like an airplane or anything else. It was just the fact that he was so tall and he could lift us to where he was and, and bring us back down. And so I'm the middle child. Um, I have two sisters, one who is younger than me and one who's older than me. And one day, you know, we're all standing in line. My dad goes to pick us up. And then as he brings me back down, he informs me that, he won't be able to keep doing this, um, this being picking me up and putting me back down. And I remember thinking to myself, well, how come? Right. Like, what, like, why not? This is this is, you know, this is like the the epitome of fun here. And then I also, you know, I was around long enough to notice that he didn't say that to my younger sister, who was smaller than me. And probably, you know, something that sticks out more so than that is that he didn't say it to my older sister. Right. And so you start to as a child, you start thinking about these different things, right? Like, well, if she's older, it can be because of age. Um, She's taller. It can be because of height, you know, these different things. And, you know, looking back, I think now you're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, and even as I got older, that was something that became more pronounced about my size, my weight, what I was able to do and what other people were able to do with me, right? And so that was one of the you know, one of the moments I think that I realized like, hey, I'm not like everybody else and I can't quite put my finger on why that's a bad thing. But I know that, you know, it's causing people not to want to do certain things, you know, with me or around me, things like that. Mm, yeah, it's it's like so I'm trying to find the right word, but I guess just it's incredible how those those little incidences like that one moment can then kind of, you know, plant this seed in your brain that, you know, something is different or, you know, like something is kind of like wrong, so to speak. And then that sort of shapes like the way that you, you know, perceive yourself and your body. Like, it's just like, I, cause I have a two-year-old, so I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you were like three or four years old. It's that one incident. Yeah. But I think that so many of us have that, that like one moment or that really stands out when we first, when we started to kind of think like, okay, something's not right with my body. You talk about the labels given to little fat black girls and how research shows that they are seen as more independent and knowledgeable. Like what's the impact of of that that stereotype, I guess, if you want to call it or, or that assumption? Yeah, I mean, I think that well, there's so I think there's a few things that happen. I think one, probably the biggest impact is that when we talk about adultification, it doesn't allow kids to be kids. And that's probably one of the biggest impacts. It doesn't allow you to make mistakes. It doesn't allow you uh, not to know what you don't know. Uh, and I think that, you know, we probably see, you know, the impact of this 
present itself in many ways. I think, you know, as black women, uh, some of the stereotypes that you, you start to see as you get older, right, is the strength of black women, right? So how strong black women are. And in some ways, this is then, you know, it's kind of flipped and it's turned into like this positive thing. Um, but I think the flip side of that is that, you know, you kind of grow up with this idea of like perfectionism, you can't mess up. You can't make a mistake. You know, the world crumbles in the event that you do make a mistake. Um, there's different expectations put on you. You know, you are looked to, you are looked at to be someone who um, looks after your family. You're the leader. You're all of these different things. And when you're not those things and when you when you fail to become those things, right, the consequences become a lot more harsh. Right. And so if you are. You know, if you're if you're somebody who has who has experienced adultification as a as a as a black child, you probably you know, you didn't get that same leeway. No one was looking to just understand where you were coming from. No one was willing to believe you when you said it was just a mistake. And I mean, I think we see that play out in a lot of ways in society, whereas, you know, people are not being given the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, and and for people who live, you know, in certain uh, certain contexts as it relates to like black collectives, you know, that can be more damning, you know, than than anything else, uh, because it may take you longer to get back on your feet. It may take you longer to be trusted. Right. Um, and the things that you work very hard to build uh, can be ruined in the snap of a finger. Wow. Yeah, you talk about um, just the various ways that diet culture shows up in the black community and how you you say, like, quote, it, it presents itself in a different form. Like, what are some of the other ways that it presents itself? So I think like in any culture, right, once you take something that is mainstream, you kind of use it in a way that it fits in the culture that you live in. Uh, and so I think, you know, when we talk about diet culture and, and how that shows up within the black community or in black collectives, I mean, I think that that, you know, how you dress is impacted by it, obviously, the way that your body looks. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that that tend to be, I guess, praised in the black black collectives, black community is like, you know, women who have small waists, but they have large large butts and they have, you know, meaty thighs and, you know, sizable breasts. It's very unrealistic as to like what a body would actually look like on a person. But like you do see that now in mainstream, you do have women who are going out to get plastic surgery done and host that their waists are super small and then their butts are super big. And that's a form, you know, that's definitely a form of diet culture as it relates to beauty standards. You know, when it we talk about what we eat and, and what that looks like, you know, we are looking at the ways that diet culture plays out. And in that, you know, as it relates to nutrition, I think there's a lot of information that's being passed now within Black collectives around. I don't know if you've ever heard Dr. Sebi. So we're talking about alkaline diets. We're talking about the things that, you know, ramp up uh, acid in, in the blood and all of these other things. And and so you see that, right? And then you have people who just say things along the lines of like, you know, in order to have a body that's full, the type of bodies that maybe the Black collective praises, right? It's about what they eat. And so, you know, it could be greens and cornbread and macaroni and cheese. You know, this is how you get that type of body. Uh, whereas, you know, the same 
the same diet can be then uh, looked at as being the problem to fat bodies, right? And so, you know, now they have a body that's not presentable because they eat the greens and the cornbread <laughs> and the macaroni and cheese. Um, and so I think there are a lot of different ways that that cultures look to kind of repurpose information that's given in the mainstream as it relates to to diet culture, you know, how we stay active. Um, that's another thing how this plays out, I guess, in the medical industry, right? Um, that would be another thing, too. Um, within the Black Collective, you see a lot of people kind of petrified about type 2 diabetes and what that means, right? And so, you know, we talk about our foods that way. We talk about the things that we drink, um, you know, it's been said more times than not that Kool-Aid is like liquid diabetes for, for Black people. But again, like these are the ways that we talk about food. This is how we talk about physical activity, right? We try to make sure that we do exercises that doesn't quote unquote take our butts away. Um, there's just a, there's a whole host of things that we often mention or that we practice in Black collectives. Um, but it's just diet culture, re, you know, it's diet culture re, repurposed. And so... Understanding that, I think initially, you know, you don't think about it that way. But the more I kind of sat with research and looked at, you know, our own cultural norms, it was like, yeah, this is kind of promoting the same things, um, just in different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, like two two of the quotes I highlighted. One of them was, "Much of what is peddled in the Black community about diabetes, high blood pressure." and incidences of stroke focuses much more on assimilation than remedy. I thought that was really powerful. Right, right. Because, but I think, so to that point, but that's kind of like the comments that are given from the outside looking in. Yeah. Right. And so that's more of the dominant group saying, hey, you have high blood pressure, you have diabetes because you don't eat food like us. Right. Mm. Because you don't move like we do. This is this is why you have these problems, which, you know, to me is somewhat BS. But (laughs) but, you know, there's a lot of that push that comes from the outside and say, you know, you would be a lot more healthier if you just ate more Kim, you know, quinoa or whatever. And it's like, eh, I don't know about that. You know, I wouldn't put money on that. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that was the other quote is you that you said is I didn't have to make my palate conform to European standards. <laughs> so just um, like how how that, the, you know, like the influence of diet culture on foods that are that are obviously like a part of a culture's heritage. So I like one of the things that I found really eye opening um, as someone who doesn't really like practice any kind of uh, religion, like I grew up sort of with it, but n- never we were like the Christmas and Easter family, um, <laughs> you know, but you really talk about like the, you know, the intersection of religion and fat phobia. What do you notice about that? Or like, what's your experience with that? Yeah. I mean, I think that if, you know, looking back on it, I think when you're in it, it's very hard to differentiate between like, you're not standing up like, Hey, this is fat phobia, right? It's, it's like, no, I'm coming to this place and, you know, I want to be, quote unquote, acceptable to God, and I want to be pleasing to him. And so if this is what the Bible is saying, and these other people who have been doing this so much longer than I have is saying that this is what the Bible is saying, right, then there's probably some sense of fat 
truth to this, right? And I probably need to then go back and pray and figure out what's wrong with me or what's causing this problem in my life so that I can fix it, so that I can keep being pleasing to God, you know, and being acceptable. Uh, And so having dealing, you know, having to be to be dealing with those things, uh, there was always this, you know, this push to fix the problem. Because if, you know, most people who are part of Christianity, at least modern Christianity as we know it, right? Like sin is that thing that nobody wants. Sin is the thing that kind of separates you from God. It's, it's, it's the thing that you need to get out of your presence, out of your sight. You need to eradicate it the best way that you know how, even though we're all born in sin and God loves us and all of these other things. But like, if you are actively practicing in sin, you know, you are always looking to stop that. Uh, And so hearing scriptures and passages about gluttony and then like how that was tied to having a larger body, even when the first portion of those scriptures didn't necessarily fit my life. Right. So I wasn't eating large amounts of food and I didn't think that I was being glutton and all of those things. Right. I still had the end result of a body and there was nothing that was being said to me that would even suggest that having the body that I had was acceptable, right? Like this was something that God was okay with. And so I think for me, you know, there was a lot of confusion at times. There definitely was a good amount of like frustration because then after you try the diets and you do all of these things and that still doesn't work, right? Now I'm frustrated. Now I'm, I'm upset. And I'm like, well, God, what is going on, right? Like, what is this, right? Is this sin manifesting in my life in some other type of way? You know, what does this mean as it relates to like, you know, success for me? What does this mean as it relates to me possibly getting married in the future? Like, nobody's going to want me like this. Every scripture that I found as far as large bodies don't point to something that is positive. Um, So what am I supposed to do with that? And then in the meantime, right, I'm being asked to to cook dinners and I'm being being asked to, you know, to do all of these different things. And I'm serving in ministry and I'm preaching and I'm teaching and I'm, you know, and I'm nurturing people and and all of those things. And to some to some extent, that's always acceptable. Right. And so um, the churches that I was a part of very much welcomed those types of behaviors and that type of service. Um, But, you know, when it got down to the nitty gritty and it was time to preach about things, this was like a reoccurring theme that would come up. You know, I had I, I don't talk about it in a book, but I had it prophesied over me that I would lose weight. I mean, I think that there are things that happen within churches and within our belief systems, right, that we kind of infuse the information that we're getting from society, right, as though that is the acceptable thing. That is the that's the thing that's meaningful. Right. So, you know, again, kind of going back to this person, imagine me being somebody believing that, you know, this is God's will for my life and having somebody prophesy over me that I was going to um, become smaller and lose weight uh, and then it not happening. Um, it's like, you know, that's that that's the other part. It's like, well, did I do something wrong? Am I not doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, what is that? Right. And then in the process, like now learning 
in hindsight, right, is like, no, you were probably damaging your body more than you were actually helping it during these times, right? Like in, in some ways you were probably putting yourself in this place of starvation. Your body thought that that it was starving itself. And so it held on to all the fat that it possibly could because you didn't know what you were doing, you know, and you really didn't know what you were practicing. And could it just be possible, right, that the way that you are created and how your body is showing up in the world is just the way that it's supposed to be? Are you okay with that? Um, and those were some of the things that I had to reckon with after being, you know, in the church and then deciding, you know, to kind of part ways and, you know, and keep living my life in a way that I could remain true to myself. So do you still practice religion or have you sort of divested from that because you know, of this? You know, so it, it wasn't just that. I think that, boy, how can I say this? I don't know if I, I'm not worried about getting in trouble, I guess. But I think that any type of religion that requires all of you without much input from you is dangerous. Right. And I think that's any belief system. And you don't necessarily have to pray to a deity for that to, to take place. But I think that when you stop being invited to the table of your own destiny, I think that there's something um, wrong with that. And I think for me, what I found is that as I was practicing Christianity, I became very much immersed in that culture uh, to where, you know, I really felt like in some ways I no longer had a voice for myself. And even when I heard myself speaking from the inside, right, that voice was being drowned out by other voices. And so finding an out, having a way out from that and and then being able to actually feel again, because I don't think a lot of people talk. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people talk about this as it relates to religion. But when you're told how to handle life and when you're told about how, you know, the type of feelings that you should have as it relates to how life happens and how how it works. Right. Based on scripture or anything else. Right. If this is sacred text and like, you know, you're supposed to count it all joy. That's a that's a scripture in the Bible. Right. And you're going through grieving and you're going through hurt and people are just constantly telling you to count it all joy. After a while, you tuck your feelings. You tuck them, you hide them, right? And and so one of the biggest things that I noticed is that once I kind of came out of that space, like I could actually feel again, right? And when things hurt, I was able to say like, it hurts. Like, I don't think I'm going to die and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to stay in this place. But right now, this hurts. And it's okay for me to be hurt, right? Like right now, this 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 isn't good for me. And so- you know, detaching and being able to feel again and then having these, you know, these feelings of self-worth come back because there is a lot of, you know, even if it's not intentional, there is a lot of tearing down that happens within Christianity as it relates to you being who you are, right? Um, there's a lot of scripture about the basement. There's a lot of scripture about killing the flesh. And a lot of us don't know what the difference is between like the spirit and the flesh and all of these other things. But like, if you're growing up in a set like that, where you have a fat body, right? Like everything about your body as it is becomes a problem. And so, you know, separating myself from that and saying like, hey, there's some good, <laughs> like there's some good perspectives in these stories, right? But like, I'm not willing to die on the hill for a lot of that stuff anymore. And I'd rather just explore and, and you know, and if at the end of this journey, I happen to meet my maker and, you know, they say, well, 
<laughs> we've we've looked over your file and and it doesn't look good for you. I, I, you know, I've kind of made peace with saying, OK, because this is my life and I got to live what I wanted to live. And, you know, and I wouldn't change that for the world. Mm, wow. That's such a powerful story. Thank you for sharing all of that. Really appreciate it. You, you know, you have a lot of courage here, whether it's kind of, you know, leaving that behind. Um, and you also talk about the moment when you were 12 years old and you kind of stood up to the doctor and was like, I'm not going to diet. What was that? What was, do you like, do you remember that moment? I, yeah, I, I feel, remember. <laughs> like, I feel like that, like, and you can tell me, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but that felt to me like that was kind of like this pivotal point of sort of acceptance for you. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, by the time I'm 12 years old, I have heard pretty much everything that there is to 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 hear as it relates to my body not being acceptable, me not being able to do certain things, um, not because I can't do them, but because I live in a fat body. And so I'm not supposed to be able to do those things. Um, and I think, you know, there also was this sense of like invisibility that was starting to happen. Because I, if, if I remember correctly, I want to say my mom might have been present in the room when the doctor was talking. And I think before that happened, they sent me home with a list. It was like a staple, a small booklet. I remember this, like there were so many pages and it was like a list of all the foods that I could eat. And uh, my mom, she, you know, she was a single parent, but she worked a full time job. So oftentimes we had to go to the doctors by ourselves. And I remember getting this list and like walking home and like looking over all the things that, you know, they said that I could eat and the stuff that I couldn't eat or whatever. And I think I was just utterly frustrated by that process and being in the medical, you know, being in the examination room that day, they (laughs) the doctor talked about me like I wasn't there. And I think that pissed me off more than anything else, right? Like this sense of like, I don't have any say in like the outcome of my own life, right? And I remember saying, you know, and really speaking up for myself and saying, I lose weight whenever I get ready. And I remember inwardly like trembling, just shaking. Like I knew that um, what I had to say mattered, but I also knew that like, there almost seemed like there was like this active pressure or force to ensure that like whatever I needed to say wouldn't get said. Um, And I think some of that was like fear. And I just think, you know, some of that is like, you know, kids are to be seen and not heard. Right. And, and so me saying that, I think it took the doctor back. I think it also took my mom back a little bit. You know, and then we kind of had to walk home in silence. <laughs> we walked home, you know, walked home in silence. But I think, you know, it was, you know, in some ways it was just like, I'm tired of people bothering me. Like, I'm tired of people messing with me. You're not telling me anything. You know, you're not saying anything that makes me want to move my body anymore than what I am. You're not even, you don't even know if I'm moving, you know, moving my body anymore. And I mean, I think at that age, I was walking back and forth to school every day, um, which was a good 15, 20 minute walk. Um, We had to walk to the doctor's office. Like nobody's asking me about those things. Um, nobody's even asking me about what I'm eating. They're just assuming that I'm eating certain, you know, the wrong stuff according to their, you know, their standards. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, there hasn't been too many times in my life where I've spoken out and, 
you know, and was willing like to burn everything down as, you know, on my way out. But that was one of those times. Like you must be really proud of that girl (laughs) that you, that you were that. And I feel like that's like, you know, some people never do that, which is, which makes sense because, you know, we're sort of just conditioned to be, you know, not speak up, but especially at that age, I just thought that was like, so amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, there have been times in my life, you know, having to speak up because of survival, you know, it's, it's almost like, I mean, like, yeah, we could all say like F you to the system, but like, if I don't say F you to the system, I might die, you know? And so it's a, it's a bit more, I think and for me, at least it's a bit more weightier, right? It's like, if I don't call out a doctor and say, you know, you're only prescribing this to me because I'm in a larger body, then like, there could really be something wrong with me that never gets checked, And so now I have to stand up and yell at you because you're not listening, you know, and now and and now you got me all riled up. And I prefer not to be riled up either. (laughs) Um, But but, you know, if if I don't say something, you know, then then it becomes detrimental to me. And I think, you know, even being 12 years old, I was at that point where, you know, going back and forth to the doctor all the time, sometimes without my mom and having them say all the things that they did and not having you know, somebody to stand in and advocate on my behalf, like I was tired. And I'm like, I can't keep living like this at 12 years old. Like I cannot keep, <laughs> I can't keep living like this. Like, is somebody going to say something? And it was like, okay, you're up. Yeah. 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 And, and, on, and on, like, on the other hand, it's like, it's, it's really kind of sad that you had to be the one to do that at that age. Yeah. You, you know, you talk about how you kind of went into this like few years where you were really into like healthism, quote unquote. How did you come out of that? Like, how did you end up kind of healing your relationship with food and, and your body to kind of get to the place where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think there were like certain things that happened along the way of that journey that I was like, okay, something's up, but I can't put my finger on it. One of the biggest things that I remember is that I was like pretty heavy at the time um, I was into like the Atkins diet and I had graduated undergrad and, you know, graduation happens in May. So we had this cookout and everything and I had watermelon there and I ate I don't know. I ate a couple pieces of watermelon during that time. And then, you know, that happens, you graduate and then it's like Monday comes and you're like, okay, we're back on track doing everything that we were doing before. And so I think on Monday I stood on the scale and I gained 10 pounds and I was like, how, right? Like just (laughs) like, just, you know, just very much taken back, like how, and, you know, and everything else that I had participated in as it related to the Atkins diet, like everything else that I ate was on track. But the only thing that stood out that wasn't necessarily on the quote unquote lit, well, it's not a quote on the list um, of the things that you're supposed to eat was this watermelon, right? And so I go to the the message boards, like the, you know, where everybody's chatting and like, I'm angry, I'm upset, right? And I'm And I'm talking to these people and I say, you know, I ate some watermelon over the weekend and like, 
I gained 10 pounds. Like, what's going on? And everybody's like, yeah, well, you know, watermelon has a lot of sugar in it, has a lot of water in it. Um, so that's, you know, that's why, like, yeah, you can't, you know, you can't do this. And I was like, there's something wrong. Like, there's no way, like, in 48 hours, I gained 10 pounds from eating three pieces of watermelon. Like, somebody has to give me an answer for this. And so there were, like, little things like that that happened. I think, you know, mentally... I can remember, you know, so I, I, you know, I'm not fully off the train during undergrad. Um, And then, you know, I go on to get my master's degree. I'm in Missouri and um, I start to really experience like the impacts mentally of what disorder eating does. I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm saying, I look bigger. What's changed? You know, again, like, you know, in 48 hours, why does my body look, look differently? You know, I'm counting, you know, I'm counting my calories, I'm adding and I'm subtracting, I'm trying to do all of these different things. And at one point, I told myself, I said, listen, this is what we're going to do. You are going to not exercise. And you're not going to do this whole counting foods and all this stuff for at least two weeks. Because I know that there's something wrong, but I really can't name it. I just know that I'm not myself, right? Um, So I'm like, take a step back, eat whatever you want to eat for two weeks or whatever. Like you need to reset, chill out because you're high strung and, you know, this is coming from somewhere. You don't know exactly where it's coming from. And so, you know, there's a, so there's that part, right? So now I have this issue of, you know, foods and how when I'm restricting myself and I'm not restricting myself, I'm watching my body change. And then mentally, the pressure that's being put on me internally as to what I'm supposed to look like and how that's showing up in my body and then how that's taking all this extra mental energy. Uh, And then there's a news report that comes out. um, The AMA, I believe, is working to have a quote unquote, um, obesity classified as a disability. And I think I lost it at that point. Um, And I was so upset and I was so angry. And I called my older sister who was smaller at the time and she didn't get it. And, you know, I marched into the office to meet with my advisor at that time. I'm working on my thesis and I say, I'm not studying at the time I was studying interpersonal relationships. And I tell her, I'm not studying this anymore. Um, We're going to study stigma. We're going to look at, you know, we're going to look at Uh, stigma, we're going to look at weight stigma in particular. And I literally changed everything that I was going to study in a matter of a year. And then, you know, and then you read and then you research. And I think smaller steps start to get taken to where I'm inching myself away from this idea that there's something wrong with my body inherently, that I need to eat these certain foods, you know, all of the everything that diet culture tells you to the point to where, you know, I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, I'm fine the way that I am. I'm okay. You want to move today? Fine. You don't? Fine. Like, <laughs> you know, we'll work, you know, we'll work, work these things out um, as we go along, but we're no longer demonizing our body and we're no longer forcing ourselves to be smaller than what we are because the outcome of those things become far worse. And, you know, did I gain weight? Absolutely. Like, did my body grow? You better believe it. But the difference between back then and now is that I have knowledge and I have wisdom now and I have a greater acceptance of myself. And so it's like, okay, well, this is what bodies do. Let them do what they do. Thank you for keeping me alive. 
you know, I'm going to go watch House Hunters. Yeah. <laughs> International or regular? Regular. <laughs> well, no, no. well, well, actually, so um, House Hunters regular comes on and then International. So I just let them play. <laughs> um, and I like them both. I like them both. I record all the International ones and then I catch the regular ones. <laughs> just okay. sometimes when I'm flipping around. Sorry, I didn't mean to go off no, on I that. I love side House Hunters with a, with a passion. It's, I, it's, the best show, even though it follows a template. <laughs> but right. And so it, there, there really isn't a whole lot of suspense, but once it's on, I can't turn it off. And I'm just like, you know, yelling at the TV, telling them that they should pick the one that they typically don't. So, <laughs> so there's a couple of things I, I would still love to ask you about. One is just like, how do you, how do you practice acceptance today? I mean, I think I practice acceptance in a number of different ways. I think one of the biggest things for me that I've learned as it relates to acceptance is like being gentle with myself. I noticed that that's something that I'm very good at when it comes to other people, right? People are down. I kind of jump in. I'm like that cheerleader. People have goals. Um, but the way that I treat myself, I'm, I'm kind of like a rigid task master at, at, master at times, right? It's like, no, you got to get this done. You need to do this. You need to do that. You know, why is this out of place, et cetera, et cetera. And so me practicing acceptance now looks like me being nice, <laughs> me being kind uh, to me and saying, you know, well, what do you, what do you, what do you want to eat today? Do you want to move your body today? And if you do, how do you want to move it? It doesn't have to be a regimen. It doesn't have to be something that's hard. You know, those types of things. There's this sense of gratefulness that I have. In 2016, I believe, I, I had a pulmonary embolism um, from birth control. Uh, I was actually on my way to pick up a couch, a rug, a rug that I found on Craigslist for free where like I passed out in a woman's lawn. And that's how I, oh that's how I found out. Yeah, that's how I found out that I had blood clots in my lungs. And that took me through a series of not really being able to have access in my body the way that I did before. I still remember like the look on my my plume, my plumenologist face when I asked him, like, when can I go back to the gym? Like, when can I start walking again? And he kind of looked at me like I had two heads. And from that space, though, I learned that, like, you have to be gentle with yourself. Like your body is doing everything that it can to ensure that you're living, right? That like there's blood that's pumping through your body, through your veins, your lungs are working the way that they are. And so there's this sense of gratefulness that I have for my body doing what it's supposed to do, right? And there's a lot of there's a lot less emphasis on what it looks like while it's doing those things. I'm just grateful that it's doing, you know, what it's doing. And so acceptance looks like grateful, you know, gratefulness to me. It looks like thankfulness to me. It looks like me being kind to myself. It looks like me eating what I want, when I want, um, how I want. Um, <laughs> it looks like, you know, it's so interesting. I think just the other day I got up around 4.30 in the morning. I was up early for some reason, but at about six o'clock in the morning, I was hungry, you know, and I said, well, you know, talking to myself, like, what do you want? And I had some leftover like rice and chicken in the, you know, in the fridge. And that's what I ate for breakfast, right? Like there was no rule like, oh, well, it's only 6 a.m. You can only have oatmeal. Like I don't want oatmeal. I want rice and this chicken that I made last night. So that's what I want, you know? And so I think acceptance shows up in a lot of different ways for me as it relates to how I interact with 
the body that I have today. But a lot of that, you know, starts internally. It's almost like it starts in the heart and then pours itself outwardly. And it gives me liberty to be myself, right? And to like fully show up because I've learned throughout the years that like being harsh isn't effective, And it's not until I can actually fully embrace myself do I actually then find that there's more liberty uh, in doing so than not. Yeah, so good. So good. The last thing I really wanted to just ask you if you're okay with time is you mentioned like one of the first things we talked about was just sort of like your family and the community and things like that. And you said, even if you accepted your body, like you knew others wouldn't. What's your advice to people who are kind of experiencing that, like who are dealing with those similar sort of feelings or pressure or lack of support from their family or community? I mean, I think that sometimes, well, okay, so let me see if I can put this, how I can, how I can put this in a way that it's not going to take me like 20 minutes to explain. (laughs) (laughs) So I think some of this is about tapping inward, right? Um, And so you know, one of the things that I struggled with when I was when I was younger, right, was like, okay, well, whose voice matters? Um, so I kind of had the, you know, I had the ingredients, so to speak, but like I didn't have the full meal. And I think that sometimes we can know a thing, but we don't allow what we know to speak loudest when it's necessary. And so, you know, Whose voice really matters at the end of the day? Is it your voice or is it or is it the people that you're around? Because if your family is telling you negative things and, and if your friends are telling you negative things, you know, if the people that you're surrounding yourself with is telling you negative things and there's no way for you to eradicate those things you know, those people or their influence, right, then you got to dig inwardly and you got to tap into the voice that's telling you that you're fine. And you got to allow that voice to speak louder than everyone else. Like, obviously, if you have friends that treat you like trash, my recommendation would be to get rid of those friends and be willing to stand in that. And I'm not saying that that's super easy. I'm not saying that, you know, you won't be hurt by that. But I think when you start to think long term as to what their influence can do um, over time as it relates to your self-concept and your self-esteem, you know, then maybe you count up the cost and you figure out, you know, what is really the price of having those individuals around. And yeah, I mean, I think that if you could take those two things, at least start there, right? So remove the things that you can remove. And, you know, in this day and age of social media, those are accounts that don't make you feel good about yourself. Those are people that write things that you don't need to see, um, especially during this time of the year. Right. I've seen too many, quote unquote, fat girl statuses, fat boy statuses, stuff like that, like things that I just don't have any interest in. Right. So I'm going to unfollow those people. I'm going to, you know, unlike pages, uh, I'm not going to read into those things. And then, you know, I'm going to reify my own voice and make sure that that my my own voice is strengthened so that, you know, when I do have to go outside, because I don't think all the voices have stopped. Right. Society is still telling fat people that they are not good enough. And so those messages haven't stopped for me, but I can drown them out. 
and I drown them out by using my own voice um, inwardly that tells me like you're full of BS and leave me alone. And then also, you know, you kind of surround yourself with people who 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 reinforce those ideas about you. Right. So then you follow social media accounts who who talk about fat bodies and acceptance. You know, you get yourself some new friends that are willing to support you. And um, and family is like we can't do much about those things. But sometimes, you know, it requires that you speak up for your own survival. And, you know, and I think there's a quote that says, you know, get up from the table when love is no longer being served. Uh, And then you, you know, you kind of learn because unfortunately, the truth is that everybody may not actually receive or accept you as you are. But that doesn't mean that you have to sit and endure that. And so, you know, you really start to count up the cost as to what matters. And when they no longer see you around, they'll probably ask questions, which then will give you an opportunity to share information or they'll already know why. But, yeah, I mean, really to to consider your own survival, because I think that's the other thing as it relates to identities that are stigmatized. We get I'm looking for the word here, but we, you know, we are constantly told that we're supposed to accept subpar treatment for up from other people. And we're supposed to understand and we're supposed to be the ones who who have sympathy and empathy. But you are not out of line for asking where is like where is that reciprocated? And you determining whether or not you still want to be in communion with individuals or, you know, or other materials in the event that it isn't. Yeah. You are amazing. Thank you for that. And I know I've taken up too much of your time here, but this was just so good. I really, really appreciate everything um, that you've uh, that you've said. And I would love you to just tell everyone uh, where they can find more of you. And yeah, where can people? Find yeah. You? So, <laughs> so um, you know, if you want to learn more about my work or more about the things that I do, you can find me at drjoycox.com. That's all one word, D-R-J-O-Y-C-O-X.com. There's a lot of information on there um, as it relates to me speaking and doing things of that nature. Um, if you want to follow me for fun, you can follow me on IG um, under the name Fresh Out the Cocoon, um, which is also my podcast which has links on the Dr. Joy Cox page. So um, all of those things that, that, you know, all the endeavors, the initiatives that I'm working on, you can definitely find through, through the website. And your book. Uh, yeah, I, and my book. <laughs> <laughs> I'll link to all that in the show notes, but right. um, I, have, I have no idea. You know, I forget to mention things sometimes and, and it's not that it's not a big thing. It's just kind of slips my mind. But yes, in, in the book, I did write a book. That's, that's correct. <laughs> you wrote an amazing book. So I hope <laughs> other people pick it up after hearing you here. And I just thank you so much. I really, really, really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. Thanks, Joy. Rock on. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. As you probably noticed, it was a little longer than my normal interviews because I just felt like I had so much I wanted to talk to her about. That's often the case when someone writes a book and I read it and then I just want to talk about so many different things. Um, You can find all the links and resources mentioned, including a link to Joy's book, 
at summerinandin.com forward slash 184. And if you don't uh, hop over there to get the link, just remember that the book is called Fat Girls in Black Bodies, and it's available pretty much wherever you buy books. Highly recommend it. And I hope that, uh, yeah, you, you enjoyed this. And I will be back soon with another episode. Thank you so much for being here today. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanen, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Summer Inanen. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts, search Eat the Rules, and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.